This is Pastor Calvin Rock, the senior pastor of the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist congregation, welcoming all of you in our listening audience to this rebroadcast of our divine worship service on this day of October 7, 2006. We are rejoicing the day in Youth Day here at Abundant Life, and our entire program has been conducted by our young people, all of our essential events. Our speaker for the day is Pastor Donovan Washington, who is our youth pastor. Pastor Washington is a graduate from the master's program of Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan, and he brings to this congregation not only that knowledge of his theological studies, but he brings a very bubbling, effervescent personality and a zest and a zeal for hard work. He is doing a remarkable job as our youth leader, and he always speaks to us from the word. And as you will hear in a moment, I'm sure whatever he is going to present will be biblically based, and we're looking forward to hearing from him as God directs his thoughts today. Before he speaks, the scripture will be read by Jerry Scott Malav, and uh, there will be a sacred section or a sacred selection by Winter Sigh. We ask that you will pray for these as they read the scripture and sing, and then for our speaker, Pastor Washington, as he brings us God's word for today. Don't let anyone look down. Will you please turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 and 16. Does everybody have it? Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. Watch your life and doctrine closely, preserving them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thank you.
How many people want Jesus to walk with you today? I know I do. Is it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It is indeed good to be in God's house, and it's an honor and privilege to be here. And on behalf of Winter and Adrian and Elder White, it is an honor and privilege to serve your young people. We're very fond of them. I think we have some of the most dynamic young people in the country, and it is our privilege to indeed serve them. As we move toward the preaching moment this morning, uh, it's going to come in two phases. Um, we have three young people who we've selected who are going to give you a short, brief testimony, no more than a few minutes for each one. And then I'm going to finish up with the main segment. Uh, some of these young people are very bright and energetic. Uh, they have a lot to share, and I believe that they have bright futures. So can you say amen as we bring up our first young people young person, Sister Dorothy Muldrow. Amen? Amen. Amen. Followed by her, we'll have Brother Evan Piles, and then we're going to finish this segment up with Brother Adrian Brown. Dorothy? Dorothy. Up here. Good morning and happy Sabbath. My name is Dorothy Mojo, and I have been given the assignment to speak to you about how the Lord has blessed me up until this time and what I hope to do in the future. First of all, I am thankful to the Lord for my health, strength, and his protection. I also like to thank the Lord for my two families. Five days out of the week, I live with my mother and stepdad. Then on Fridays, I will go over my dad's house till Sunday. During my life, I watched my parents work hard to get extra money to do fun things with my family. My dad even works two jobs trying to get extra. When I, when I grow up, I want to become a professional actress, make lots of money, send some to my family to help them out. My mother's name is Tina Garrett. 
My stepdad name is Jean Garrett. My mother has five kids. My stepdad has five kids. There are five boys and five girls. Their names are Shabash, Reggie, Ishan, GT, and Jane. My sisters are Shantae, Jalisa, Sierra, Tasha, and Mahogany. My father's name is David Muldrow. My stepmom's name is Luanda Muldrow. My family is great. Until I get older and become an actress and make enough money to send to my family, I will help around the house the best way I can and keep a smile on everyone's face. Thank you. Good morning, church family. Um, I, too, have been blessed um, to have grown up in a Christian household. Um, it's been a very positive influence on me, and especially today when there are more things working against youth than for them. It's been a real blessing. Um, basically, I, I first like to thank God because I have the gift of music. Um, and I think a lot of us overlook many of the gifts that God blesses us with. And it's not just physical gifts, things that we're able to do, but the way our minds work, things that we're able to feel for other people, things that we're able to comprehend and understand. Um, and I'm sure we've all been blessed with many, if not more than at least five of these gifts. Um, my future plans um, include traveling. I want to further my gifts that God has blessed me with, mainly music. Um, and I'd like to thank him for that one especially. It's gotten me the farthest. Um, so praise be to God for that. <laughs> now, now with youth... Today, college is becoming less and less of an option, and in my home, college is not an option at all. It's a must. <laughs> um, I mean, I, have, I don't have personal experience from back in the day, but um, college was not looked at as such an requirement as it was today. It was high school, do you want to call it college or not? Nowadays, it's which college do you want to go to? Um, youth are expected to grow up faster nowadays, too. Um, because there's more work against us, we're expected to mature faster. And many of the time we succeed, but in a lot of cases we don't. And those are the youth that need help from their parents, from those around them, everyone. Um, so I'd just like to caution you to keep your eyes open for those. And it's help. Thank you. Good morning, church. It's always a privilege to talk about the goodness of the Lord. And when I got the call this week from Pastor Washington to talk about growing up, I was like flooded with a lot of memories and a lot of things, a lot of interesting things that has happened in my life and how the Lord has directed. And um, I'll first start off. I thought about what text I'm going to actually use to kind of describe um, my growing up and I thought about Ecclesiastes chapter 3 which speaks about the seasons of life and Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 reads to everything there's a season a time for every purpose under heaven a time to be born and a time to die I read that and I stopped immediately because I will never forget a Saturday afternoon a day before my 16th birthday my dad sued me down and told me the circumstances surrounding my birth. And um, pretty much I was, I was amazed because I would make little hints now and then 
But when I got the full details, it was just pretty much beyond me. Um, I didn't really grow up in a Seventh-day Adventist family, but my father, he grew up in the church, and he pretty much knew what the, um, what the requirements were in terms of keeping the Sabbath and things like that. But I'll kind of give you a brief overview of what my father went over. He pretty much told me that um, I was one of those breach babies that you would consider to be a breach, meaning I was coming out in the opposite direction. And my parents were living in rural Jamaica at the time, and they had to rush my mother about two hours from rural Jamaica to Kingston at an Adventist hospital. And when they arrived at the hospital, they pretty much told my dad that I was dead because there was no fetal heartbeat, and I was stuck in the opposite position for too long, and I was oxygen deprived. And what they had to do was to try to save my mother's life. And my dad said that he prayed and pleaded with the Lord because he didn't want another life to be taken. And he got good news that I survived, but I was in critical condition and I was in the intensive care unit for about a week. And when I thought about it, I, I think to myself, I minored in biology in college and I've always heard about the dangers of oxygen deprivation, autism, mental retardation, severe brain damage. And it's amazing that even before I knew myself, the Lord was watching over me. And there's so many other experiences that I can talk of. When I was age two, there was a fire, our house caught fire, and the babysitter that was supposed to be looking over us, she went away, we were sleeping, and my sister, my three-year-old sister woke up and dragged me out of the house. And by the time the babysitter came back, the house was already engulfed in flames. And, uh, and I thought to myself that the Lord has done so much for me, and I can go on and on and on. At age seven, we were robbed. I woke up one morning. <laughs> I woke up one morning and I saw some guys in the house in ski masks with a gun. And I was like, is this real? <laughs> what I did, I was on a bunk bed, and what I did was I placed the pillars around the bunk bed so that they couldn't see me. And it so happened that one of the pillars fell off, and they saw it and said, Come here. And I was like, Lord have mercy. I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be dead now. And it was, it was interesting because we lost pretty much everything. And they had us, me and my sister, take our own things and pack it in their vehicle. And it was, it was, it was really, really amazing. But um, I never forget, my parents sent me to school the same morning. And I went to school and the teacher, I never forget her name, she prayed and prayed and thanked the Lord for sparing our lives. Because what they did was they had gunmen positioned at different houses so that people couldn't go out to get help. And it was an organized plot, and years after, one of the guys that were involved, he went to prison and he came back and told my parents the entire situation, how they had planned it for like weeks. And it, it's amazing. And I could go on and talk about the many things that the Lord has done for me. And even recently when I was in college, it's it's amazing. I don't know how I made it through because I was pretty much on my own. My parents tried the best that they could to help me. But it was, it was really, really difficult. But in every situation, the Lord has always sent somebody to help. Whether it be an academic advisor, a professor, some, somebody to help. And it's just amazing because when I graduated, my academic advisor looked at me and told me that, you have a story to tell. 
And I said, yes, I do have a story to tell because it was only because of the goodness of the Lord. And I made it through five years at the chemical engineering. It was a rigorous curriculum. And I was able to finish in five years without any student loans. And I'm thankful to the Lord for everything that he did because I did pretty much everything. Work with orientation, I did research, I tutored, I was an RA. I got a scholarship, but it didn't cover for room and board. So I pretty much had to do everything that I could to survive. And I finished from the Honors College, and it was an awesome experience because it was only because of the goodness of the Lord. And in closing, I'll pretty much talk about where I see myself in the future. I needed to take a time off from school because it was just so much. It was unbelievable. I remember times not sleeping for like three days. And my classmates would be on caffeine pills. They would be on coffee and a whole bunch of stuff. And they would say, oh, Adrian, you need to take something. You need to stay up. We have the work to do. But I would drink a lot of water, and I would pray about it, and I was able to, to make it through. And the Lord has done so much for me. And now that I've taken the time off and think about what I really want to do with my life, I've really, really been seriously thinking about becoming a university provost or president. And I've actually talked to Pastor Rock, and we've talked about his experiences. And um, I think it's something that I'm really looking forward to because I really, really enjoy working with young people. And even when I was in school, um, most of my, the jobs that I used to do was working with with, um, with young people, that would be orientation or tutoring or being an RA. And it was something that really left a lasting impression on me. And I close now by saying that during my struggles, I always remember this song, Trust is Heart, and I'll read to you the words from the song. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. When you don't understand and when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Thank you. Can we say amen again? Amen. Young people, be inspired to go beyond mediocrity. Um, our people, unfortunately, are expected to be mediocre. And many minorities are expected just to be mediocre. But I like it when Dorothy says she's going to make a lot of money and be an actress. That's a beautiful thing. I like it that Evan is planning to go to Juilliard and study music. And it's a privilege to work with such a sharp mind as Adrian Brown. And I want all of our young people be, be inspired to do great things. God has put something great in you, and you're living in an exciting time in history, a time where you can literally do anything by the grace of God. Don't just be mediocre, but be excellent in the name of Jesus. Is that all right? For the next few moments, I want to speak to you on the topic, the ministry of grace, the ministry of grace. Can we bow our heads briefly? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Over the next few minutes, please bless us with this short message on the ministry of grace. In Jesus' name, let everyone say amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And if you would look with me at verse 20, I'm going to read this from the King James Version, 
of the Bible. I really like how the King James puts it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. The ministry of grace. Word of God reads, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, hallelujah, grace did much more abound. Where would we be without the grace of God? The beautiful thing about the grace of God, as destructive as sin was, as permeating as sin was, God's grace was stronger than sin. Amen? And we've all experienced his grace. Even on a more practical level, we've all been in situations where we've received something that we didn't expect. Amen? You're washing clothes and you reach into a pocket and you find a 5 and $10 bill. You cut a little step. Hallelujah. You didn't expect to receive that. At your job, your boss comes to you and say, you have been promoted unexpectedly. You did not expect to get that promotion. Or if you're in school and you studied all night and you've crammed and crammed and crammed and the next morning the teacher says take another week there's no test today hallelujah you've received grace you have received unexpected grace but I believe we've been in more situations where we've received something that we didn't deserve amen you're speeding and you know you're speeding all right you know the sign says 55 and you give yourself an extra 10, but then you give yourself 10 more, and you're going about 85. The police officer pulls you over, and you act dumb. Oh, officer, I didn't know. <laughs> I had no, oh, I, I, I had no idea. All right? And you know what's coming. You know that ticket is coming. You think about your budget. You know you can't afford it. And then the officer says, you know what? I'm going to give you a warning. That is undeserved grace. So the two types of grace we've all experienced is unexpected grace and undeserved grace. A little story that exemplifies this. The last church I worked in, uh, in St. Louis, I used to go over people's homes a lot. They would invite me over to eat. And there was one lady who could cook. And her specialty was desserts. Sweet potato pies and peach cobblers and uh, 7-Up cakes and socket to me cakes and German chocolate cakes. Y'all never heard of Sagatumi cakes? German chocolate cake. I mean, she could cook desserts. And so whenever I went over there, she would cook all this stuff. And I, I'm just, bah, 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 bah. I'm just eating it all. And she would say to me, Pastor Washington, you're going to get a cavity. I said, ah, oh, Dr. Beeks, I'm not getting a cavity. She was a dentist too. So she would cook all these sweets. And I think she did it to get more business. I don't know. But she was a dentist as well, so she would say, Pastor Washington, you're going to get a cavity. I'm thinking, nah, I'm young. I'm not going to get a cavity. One time I said, Dr. Beeks, I'm not going to get a cavity. So I kept eating, 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 eating every time I went over there. About five months later, sure enough, I woke up one morning, and I felt a pain in my back tooth that I have never felt before. Now listen, all of you have had those cavities that go down to the nerve. You know what I'm talking about. That's the kind of pain where you say, Lord, just take me now. I'm, I'm, done. I'm done with this life. It was, it was a horrible pain. 
it was terrible. So she was the only, ironically, and I hated to talk to her, but she was the only dentist I knew. So I called her one morning. She saw my phone and the call ID. She didn't even ask me any questions. She said, you have a cavity, don't you? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am, I do. Can I come in and see you? She said, come in. At the time, I was a stipend worker. I didn't have insurance. I scraped up, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. I said, I hope this covers it. So I went to see her, and she says, I can't do anything for you, but I'm going to send you to one of the best oral surgeons in the city. Well, I'm thinking that's a blessing, but I'm broke. I can't afford this, man. And so I told her, I said, look, Dr. Beeks, I don't have insurance. I might begin before. She said, listen, just take the money that you have. Go see him. Tell him I sent you. I went to see the man. He began to work on me all the while. I'm wondering how am I going to pay for this. This man was so good. He used no anesthesia, and I didn't feel any pain as he removed the tooth. He was that good of a surgeon. So after I was done, I walked up to the front. Now remember, I brought this on myself, okay? I walked up to the front. I pulled out my little nickels and dimes, getting ready to pay for it. And the secretary says to me, it's already been taken care of. It's already been paid for. I said, who did it? She said, Dr. Beeks paid for it for you. It was unexpected. It was undeserved. But I received it. And likewise, in our lives, we've received things that are unexpected and are undeserved, but it's grace. And that's just what grace is. It's unmerited favor. It's the favor that you get when you brought it on yourself, but you still get relief by the grace of God. Who says amen to that? It's a beautiful thing. Now, I said to myself, if I receive this type of grace, and I felt so good that day, I was shouting in my car, I was like, thank you, Lord, you took the pain away and you spared my wallet. Thank you, Lord. But I'm, I'm praising God in my car, I'm blessing his name, but then it hit me, and follow me, church. If receiving grace feels that good, I wonder what it'll be like to give that type of grace to someone else. Are you listening to me? We're very good at receiving grace. But do we give that type of grace to other people? No, we don't. We don't want to give that kind of grace. You know why? Number one, we always want to be right. Don't we? We want to be right. Some of us would rather be mean and right than nice and at peace. But we want to be right, you know? I'm married. I've been married for a little while. And sometimes I can say, oh, baby, forget about it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But knucklehead, hardhead Pastor Washington wants to be right. So I'll start a fight. You did it. You were wrong. Aha, I got you. Because she always catches me. So I got to catch her. And we always want to be right. And we don't want to give that grace. And I'm saying to you, and I would like to suggest to you by the authority of God, it would be better for you to be wrong and at peace than be right and not at peace. But secondly, we are conditioned for justice. We are conditioned to see justice happen. Every movie you watch, the bad guy gets caught at the end, right? Justice! If you watch the movie and the bad guy got away and he's celebrating, you wouldn't like that movie too much. But our minds are conditioned for justice. So we do not like giving 
grace. But if we are to get to heaven, the word of God is clear. Not only do we have to accept the grace that God gives us, but we're going to have to give people grace as well. Who says amen to that? So the Bible talks about the two types of grace that we're going to have to give, and we're going to break that down now. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're only going in 1 and 2 Samuel, so we're not going to go, have to go far. But turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. The first type of grace we're going to talk about today is unexpected grace. You have the power to give unexpected grace. Now, this type of grace I want you to practice in your lives. And not only practice in your life, practice with young people. Are you listening to me? There are so many of our young people who have never experienced the ministry of grace. They're told all the time, you're bad. You're going to be just like your daddy. You're going to be just like your mama. You're wrecking the family. You're doing terrible in school. Have you ever heard of the term a self-fulfilling prophecy? If you're always telling your kids how bad they are, get ready because they're going to be bad. If you're always telling them how they're going to be just like their daddy, and if their daddy was a knucklehead, get ready. They are going to be just like their dad. But as parents and authority figures, we have to have the ability sometime to minister grace to our young people, to give them a margin of error, to give them a break sometimes. It doesn't have to be justice, justice, justice all the time. Sometimes you have to minister grace to them. And there's two types of grace I would like to suggest. Unexpected grace and undeserved grace. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, David had just gotten to the point where Saul was no longer pursuing him. He was anointed as the next king. In that time, when you were anointed as the next king, you had the moral authority to go to the hostile previous king's family and kill everybody to make sure that there was no revolt against you. You had that authority. If you read throughout the Bible, there are times when the next king would go back and destroy the previous king's whole family. Now, there were people in Saul's family who knew David was king now, and they also knew what Saul did to David. If you don't know, Saul was a very horrible person to David. He was very jealous of David. He wanted to make sure that David never rose to prominence and never rose to power. But when God has something for you, nobody can stop it. Amen? Nobody can stop it. And Saul could not stop the glory that was in store for David. So now David is king. Some of Saul's family has died. Some of them have been killed. But David has been blessed so much by God. David has received so much grace. He asks a question. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. David asks, reading from the New International Version, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? If you don't know, Jonathan was the son of Saul. And while Saul was trying to kill David... Jonathan was helping David out and being a friend to him. The Bible says their relationship was so close, it was almost like the way a man loves a woman. And it wasn't homosexual, but it was a very close relationship. Amen? 
And so David wants, because he's experienced grace, he wants to show grace to someone else. Look at this, verse 2. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king has asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. Now let me give you a little background on this. You may say, what does all that mean, Pastor Washington? Where Mephibosheth was, was hundreds of miles from where David was. He was hiding out there because he felt as if if David found out he still lived, he would be killed. Are you following me? He thought he was about to be killed. So not only is this man in fear of seeing David, not only is he crippled, but now he gets the word that David wants to see him. Can you imagine what's going through his heart? Well, this is it. I need to get my life in order. And now this crippled, broken down son and relative of Saul has to go before David, fully expecting to lose his life. We're talking about unexpected grace here. Look at this. Look at this. Verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, do not be afraid, David said to him. Hallelujah. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Amen. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Amen and amen. Here is a man who thought he was about to die. Here is a man who was crippled. Here was a man that was serving the people who were asked to serve him. And now he comes before David and receives unexpected grace. He goes from being the servant to the master. He goes from being poor to rich. He goes from having nothing to having everything because David showed him unexpected grace. Who says amen to the word of God? And right now, there is someone living in fear. There is someone struggling. There is someone who is crippled in their life. And you have the power to show them unexpected grace. And some of these people are living in fear because of something that went on between you two. An argument that may have happened years ago. A fight that you may have gotten in. 
a bad word that may have been spoken between the two of you. And you have the ability to put it all to the side and show them unexpected grace. Now you have a choice. You can be right or you can be godly. And you can show them that. But unexpected grace is not only the type of grace that the Bible speaks of. 1 Samuel chapter 26 talks about undeserved grace. 1 Samuel 26, this is our last text for the day. And we're going to close out on this. 1 Samuel 26 talks about undeserved grace. Now let me give you a little background. In the previous chapters, Jonathan and David sat at the table with Saul. Saul just got mad at David, picked up a spear, and threw it at his head. Barely missing David. Almost took his life all out of jealousy. All out of jealousy. So he throws the spear at David's head, almost missed. David gets up, says, why are you doing this to me? And leaves. Jonathan follows after. And they make a pact right there. Listen, as long as we live, we're always going to look out for each other's kids. But you need to go because my dad is bent on killing you. So Saul chases David all over the countryside. He chases him everywhere, over and over again. And God delivers David every time. David receives a prophecy, and the prophecy says that one day God is going to deliver your enemies into your hand. Now look what happens. We're talking about undeserved grace. 1 Samuel chapter 26. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakila, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search there for David. Verse 5. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Abner, Saul and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was laying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. So David decides to go down to the camp. Verse 7. So David and Abishai went to the army late by night. And there was Saul. Look at this, everyone. Lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear and I won't strike him twice. David walks into the camp and when he walks into the camp, he realizes all his enemies are lying right there asleep. All his enemies. His associate says to him, listen, God is blessing you today, brother. All right? Look, let me pin this man to the ground. And the text says, I won't need two times to do it. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to do it so good, I only need one time. And you notice how he said, God has blessed you. You know how we justify being mad with people in the name of God? <laughs> you know? God don't like ugly, you know. Oh, well, God is telling me to stay away from you and all this stuff. No, 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 no. So 
Here is a prime opportunity. All of David's troubles can be over. To his human understanding, it can all be finished right now. But David, in being in tune with God, shows a prime example of undeserved grace. Amen? Look at this. Look at this. Let's go to verse 17. Verse 17. Um, no, let's read verse 13. No, verse 12. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head, and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord put them in a deep sleep. Look at verse, um, look at verse 9. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike. Before I make my main point, I want to point something out. If you have ought with someone and you're struggling with giving them grace, the number one thing that you need to think about in your mind, that's God's child too. You're not just God's child. God loves that person too. Saul was acting like a devil, but David realized, you know what? That's the Lord's anointing. If the Lord wants to strike him down, I'm going to let God deal with that. But I'm not going to be the one to do that. And church family, we cannot be the people to execute the justice of God. I know we want justice. I know this person did us wrong. I know this person doesn't deserve it. But if we do like David and show undeserved grace, do you know God will take care of that situation 10 to 100 times better than you ever could? He'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. Verse 17, look at this. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord the king. And he added, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What wrong am I guilty of? Now let my Lord, the king, listen to his servant's word. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They, may, they have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, look at this, everybody. I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool. And have erred greatly. If you make the decision to give someone unexpected grace or undeserved grace, you can cooperate with God to bring that person back to repentance. Do you see that? If you act like a devil while they're acting like a devil, there's a chance you can push them away further from God. But David said, even though you don't deserve it, Saul, I'm going to do the right thing. Now Saul eventually killed himself. But it wasn't in David's hands. It wasn't at David. Saul made his own choice. But David exhibited unexpected grace and undeserved grace. Who says amen to the word of God? Let me close with this story. 
when I was in high school, I think I was a pretty good student. But there were some times I had a, a semi-rebellious rebellious streak. Never drank, never smoked, wasn't into fornication. But I liked impressing people by my boldness. Well, a friend of mine got jumped and beat up. And um, I stood by him. I said, listen, man, we're going to get those guys back. We're going to get them back. Now, I'm from the country, and in the country, my uncle used to take me shooting. I don't know if you guys are from the South, but in the South, that's, that's older men take young boys, and you go in the woods, and you go shooting. So my uncles would get all their guns and rifles, and we put on the little headphones, we set up targets, and they say, okay, Don, here you go, show me what you got. And I take the gun, shoot it, fall back, and it's not like it is on TV, trust me. So I would shoot all these guns. Now, I went to stay with one of my uncles, and he said, listen, I'm going to treat you like a brother. You can do whatever you want to do in the house, but never mess with my guns. And if you mess with my guns, the reason why I don't want you to do because I love you, and I don't want you to hurt somebody, and I don't want you to hurt yourself. Okay, uncle, no problem. Well, saying that to a testosterone-filled teenage boy is like saying to a dog, sick him. You know, it's, it's not always going to work. So sure enough, I told my friend Tremaine, I said, you know what? My uncle has a gun. Let's scare the guy. Let's go get the gun and scare him. I said, my uncle doesn't get off work. I can take the gun. I can have it back before he gets home. So sure enough, I went. I got his revolver, and I took it in the neighborhood. I was showing it off to my friends. Yeah, yeah, look at the gun. Now, I forgot to tell you, one of the things my uncle told me he said, now, just in case you decide to get the gun, if you ever get it, I'm not going to whoop you. I'm going to physically beat you up. I was a big guy, but he was like 6'5", 300 pounds. He was a bigger guy. And he knew that was the only thing that would really speak to me, okay? He said, do what you want, call the police or whatever, but I love you that much that the only thing you'll understand is if I beat you up, all right? So uh, that's that tough southern love, man. So I, t I have the gun. I'm waving all in the neighborhood, acting like a cowboy, flipping it in my hand, this and that. And I look around the corner. And before, it was way before he was supposed to get off. I guess he went home early. But there's my uncle riding down the street. Now, I learned later that as long as I lived with him, do you know he checked the gun box every day to make sure I didn't mess with it? That was the first thing he did when he went home. So he pulled up to the street, and I see him. I've seen this man beat people up. I mean, he is, when he visits, I mean, when he stands next to me, come here, Jerry, come here. <laughs> this is what I look like next to him. I mean, it's, he is massive. He's a big man. Thank you, Jared. He's huge, huge. So imagine my heartbeat as he's rolling up. Here I am acting like Jesse James, and my heart is beating fast as he rolls up. And I'm like, my life is over. It's, it's done. It's... So he rolls up, and he says, he didn't even get out the car. He rolls down the window. I remember like it was yesterday. He says, where is it? I said, right here, Uncle Charles. And um, I gave it to him. He didn't say a word to me and just pulled off. 
Well, I was trying to come up with any excuse not to go home that evening. I was like, I asked my friend Jermaine, he had a truck. I said, you think you could hit me with your truck, right? And I'll go to the hospital and not have to go. But I, uh, I eventually got the courage to go home. And when I walked in the house, he was watching TV. And the most amazing thing happened. He looked at me and he said, how was your day? <laughs> I said, look, Charles, I'm ready, man. Look, I'll, <laughs> I'll do the best I can, but just come on, man. Let's get it over with, you know? And he said, sit down. And here's a part that stayed with me throughout this day. He said to me, I'm not going to put you in. You're not going to get in trouble, and I'm not going to beat you up. He said, um, you know why you're living with me? He said, I promised your daddy when he went away to jail that I would always look out for you, always. And you know why I don't want you to touch those guns? Because you could end up where he is, messing with those guns. He said, what did you learn from it? He said, what did you learn from it? I said, it's stupid. I, I shouldn't have done it. You know, I was just, I was just trying to impress me. Charles, you know I was going to shoot that gun. He says, I know. And he looked at me and he said, don't do it again. He said, now let's go get something to eat. <laughs> and we went and got something to eat, and that was the end of it. And to this day, I have never touched another gun. That is the ministry of grace. And if you can't relate with that, relate with the fact that Jesus did the exact same thing for you when you came to him. He caught you in the midst of your mess. And he said, you know what? I forgive you. It's done. Go and sin no more. The ministry of grace, that grace was unexpected and it was undeserved, but it sure did change my life. And you have the power to give that to someone else because God gave that to you. Who believes God's word today? Let's bow our heads. Every head bow, every eye closed. Father in heaven, Lord, I've given these humble words to your people. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the grace that you've shown me. And I'm also grateful for the grace that people have shown me. Lord, it was unexpected. It was undeserved, but it left a strong impression in my life. And now, Lord, I want to give that grace to others. Lord, there may be someone in this room today who's never experienced grace, who's done wrong and has always been punished for it, but they've never felt the beautiful hand of your grace. Lord, you said where sin abounded, grace did much more. And you also said in your word that your grace is sufficient for us. So there's someone today who may have a heavy burden. There's someone today who may be living with some guilt from the past. There's someone today who may not be close to Jesus Christ. And I'm here to let you know by the authority of Jesus, his grace is sufficient for you. He hung on that cross and died 
so that you could have another chance. And he's looking at you today and saying, today could be the first day of the rest of your life. Today, I can look at you as if you've never sinned. All the mistakes you've made, every burden, all the faults that bear your name, they can be gone today if you just give your heart to me. No more. You don't have to worry about punishment. I've already suffered for you. Experience my grace today. So there's someone who needs that grace. And wherever you are, I want to pray for you today. Oh, if you need that type of grace, why don't you come on down to the front? I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today. Hallelujah. They're coming. You need that type of grace in your life. You want God to, to wipe it clean. You want a new start. Some of you may be saying, Lord, you know, <laughs> it's kind of so bad. I think I need to get baptized, God. I need to give it all to you. Oh, I felt so free when I got that grace from my uncle. I didn't have to bear that shame. And you can experience that from God today, if you're willing. Now, my second appeal is simple. You may be experiencing that grace, but you're not giving that grace to other people. You're not giving that grace to your family members. You're not giving that grace to your child. You're not giving that grace to your husband or your wife. It's all justice. They're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. But you want the ability to say, God, you know what? You were patient with me, so I'm going to be patient with them. You want to be able to say, God, I know I can bring the hammer down on them. I know I can drive the spear through. But you know what? I'm going to give them grace, and I'm going to let you deal with it. If you would like that ability, just stand to your feet, whoever you are. Just stand to your feet, wherever you are. You want to be more graceful. You want to give grace to people. You want to be more graceful. You want to be able to say, son, I know you messed up. Don't do it again. We still love you. Wife, I know you made a mistake, but just know I love you. We can move on from here. You have a clean slate. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, where would we be without your grace? Where, Lord, where would I be if you didn't say, no, I'm going to give them another chance to get it right? Lord, you could have struck me down a long time ago. But you said, I'm going to give him an opportunity to get it right. And Lord, you've done that for all of us. So for these dear souls who are up front, who need to experience your grace, Lord, I ask that you bless them in a special way. Put your hands upon them now. Every sin that bears their name, wipe it clean by your blood right now. Give them a new start right now. May they not be prisoners to guilt. May they not be prisoners to sin. May they not be prisoners to fear. But may you give them the abundant life that comes from your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who are in their seats, Lord, put in their minds and hearts the ability 
to give unexpected and undeserved grace. May they do it at their jobs. May they do it in their homes. May they do it at this church, and may they do it in school. And Lord, may they remember vengeance is yours. You can handle it better than we can. Our responsibility is to be like you. So bless in a special way. Lord, we love you and we honor you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. For those who came up and want baptism,